Welcome to the PKN Podcast, where we give you the wrap on all things packaging. Welcome, folks, to the PKN Packaging News Podcast. My name's Grant McCarran, and as ever, I'm joined by Lindy Hewson, Managing Editor and Publisher of PKN Packaging News and the host of this show. Hello, Lindy. Can you please tell us about our topic and our guest for this episode? Hi, Grant. Yes, today we're going to be talking about the smart factory operator's little helper, the collaborative robot, or the cobot, as we have more commonly become to understand and know it. And joining us in the studio to educate us on cobots and their benefits to business is James McHugh. He is the regional director for Universal Robots in Asia Pacific, and we're very excited to hear about this topic from you, James. Welcome. Hi, Lindy. Great to be here, and uh, a, a very, very uh, dear topic to my to my heart, so I'm looking forward to a uh, fascinating chat with you this morning. Well, let's start at the basics, James, because some of our listeners might be new to robotic technology. What is a cobot, and what can it typically be used for? So I think I think most people are, are uh, familiar with the the concept of an industrial robot. Most people have seen video footage of, say, a car factory or a food production facility where you see robots picking up boxes. Industrial robots do exactly what they're told. So they they move from point A to point B to point C to point D, uh, and they do that without fear fear or, uh, or, or of anything, including anything that gets in their way. So you'll typically find any industrial robot protected by uh, safety cages so humans or, or any other living thing cannot get in their way or in some cases light shields and other light curtains and other things and, and a various array of um, industrial sensors that detect movement and will shut the robot down immediately that something comes within its, uh, its, its path. Uh, the reason being that the robots are so mechanically strong that they can you know, actually cause death or dismemberment. Uh, so robots like industrial robots are absolutely designed to replace people and they're not very people-friendly. Uh, collaborative robots, on the other hand, was about setting humans free to work with robots, to stop people working like robots and help people work with robots. So our robots, they don't move quite as fast. They are able to detect when they come in contact with something in their path and actually go into a protective or safety stop and not harm any living thing that comes into their way, which means that they're much safer they're much easier to work with, they're much faster to be able to come to terms to work with as opposed to be replaced by. And that's the key thing is working with robots, not working like robots or being replaced by robots. So, and what what typical tasks are cobots being used for on the factory floor now? You know, these days where we find <laughs> labour shortages, you know, the biggest the biggest problem we solve is these variable labour issues. You can't get people who want to work in factories anymore in Australia, New Zealand, Singapore, you know, any any high-cost country. Uh, you know, the next generation would rather work in a service industry than go and work in a factory. Uh, so we're finding that any anything that's sort of repetitive, uh, pick and place, uh, the, the repetitive things that are not necessarily using the human brain, which is amazing for its ability to adapt and be flexible, uh, things that are dirty, you know, like so like deburring, polishing, sanding, things that really humans can do, but I think, I think we'd agree you and I would prefer not to do. Um, you know, something just as basic as even sharpening knives, 
in a bushery type sense. So things that are either repetitive and dirty, repetitive and dangerous, um, and require little ingenuity, uh, in, uh, imagination or flexibility, which is where humans really come to the fore. So if we look um, broadly at this sector, we always like to talk trends on this show. Can you give us the key cobot-related trends globally and in our region? Yeah, look, I think increasingly, you know, we, we, we are a business or we, we're a segment that's focused on small to medium enterprises. You know, the large guys use us. This is a key differentiator for us is the large, the large multinationals have already adopted cobots in many respects to do the jobs that they can't retain, uh, they can't retrain people to do these jobs. But, but where we're finding extraordinary adoption is these small to medium businesses who are now, and particularly post the commencement of the pandemic, I won't say post the pandemic, but since the, the pandemic commenced, uh, cobots have really the value to an to a small to medium business operator of a cobot is is their flexibility and they can actually see how one robot arm can help do the job of one 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 person or half a person and that the ability to be able to pick the robot up or, on a, or put it on a trolley move it from one task to another and the fact that their own people can train them to do basic pick and place sanding, polishing, um, even uh, very popular in, in, in quality inspection. So making sure that, you know, that the gluing has been done correctly, that screws and, and the like are tightened to the right amount, that the gaps around the finish of anything, be it automobiles, you know, the gaps between the, uh, the panels, but anything of that nature, white goods, they're very, very commonly used in those type of applications. Um, through to, to moving small boxes. So we've got, you know, we can we, we can lift from three kilos through to through to sixteen kilos. Uh, so not we're not we're not getting into the sort of, you know, heavy logistics space, but we are very very flexible in little in, in small to medium factories where we're packing boxes that are carrying ten to to, to twelve kilos and um, being able to move them from primary packaging to secondary packaging. Uh, or it's a matter of just being able to, you know, a really common thing, uh, most parts uh, are machined, whether they're made of plastic. So very common these days that you have uh, 3D printing or additive manufacturing. Those machines need to be fed. And once they have the product that they've made, they need to have the product pulled out of the, of the machine and placed into its next container for its, for its, on its next point of uh, delivery. Our cobots are very good at doing that. Um, and, and we find that those type of jobs of loading a machine, unloading a machine, they're monotonous, they're boring, they're repetitive, and it's very difficult to attract people to do that now. So what we're finding is that our cobots really, once, once small to medium uh, business owners can see how the, a robot can be trained to do multiples of those tasks and moved around a factory based on high, um, high mix, lower volume, it becomes very attractive. Well, I mean, you've done a good job of, of um, explaining that the benefits or the upside. My question next now, though, is um, if we look at sectors that are embracing uh, cobots, we've, you've alluded to electronics and automotive um, where there has been uptake. Is the uptake of cobots growing in the manufacturing sector and, and in which sectors are you seeing more demand than others? 
Look, I mean, I, you know, we want to talk about Australia and New Zealand, yeah, where we are seeing you know, in food production, in pharmaceutical and in, uh, in life science increasing. You know, it's actually coming to us. It's amazing to work with this industry body saying, look, we're not using cobots and we should be. So as a sort of extension of this industry 4.0, you know, we'd sort of say that cobots is industry five, which is man and machine working together. Um, that people are going, how can we use cobots? Where and, and you know, one one classic example was with the Australian meat and uh, Australian meat, meat and livestock body. They were saying, look, we know we can't use them on the factory floor, and that's not what they're designed for. But they were looking and they said, wow, we could actually get massive efficiencies in terms of consistency and blade sharpening, which gives us a longer blade life and more efficient. Um, operation in our boning room due to the, sh- the, the sharpening always being to, um, to their standard. So people are getting quite creative in terms of how they can use these collaborative robots for, um, for applications that they can't get people to do anymore. You know, it's hard enough to get people to work in, in, a, in, a, in an abattoir, uh, much less get them into the middle of semi-rural or rural, rural Australia and say your job is to sharpen knives. You know, so it's um, the the ingenuity about how that can be deployed is is amazing. How the actual industry bodies are challenging the industry itself to come up the curve on technology. That's going to lead me into my next question: um, What key technology advances have um, come into play since cobots first came onto the market? Because the the first cobot and today's cobot are two different beasts. Yes. Um, look, I think the whole. You know, I mean, one of the, the unique things that the cobots offer is force torque sensing. So the ability to polish but not polish beyond a point that you damage a surface, uh, the ability to weld, you know, to very, very smoothly uh, and, and, and in a very, um, you know, it, it's not where you're talking about bespoke welding, but you're talking about, you know, actual high mix, lower volume manufacturing, uh, the force talk sensing in our robots has uh, really assisted in being able to get a human-like finish in things like polishing, sanding and welding. Uh, but I, the other thing I think that makes UR quite different is the ecosystem of end effects that have been built around our kind of industry-leading cobots. And I think it would be fair to say that everything that ends up on the end of any other cobot was beta tested on our, our or developed and or developed for our robots. So I think the, the universal um, universal robots plus global ecosystem is something that's far and away sets you are apart. You know, from end to end, you know, from the factory operator owner or operator being able to say, yes, I can buy a robot and a palletizer and actually have, you know, four boxes arrive at my factory and I can go from boxes to testing within a day is really groundbreaking. And, and the ingenuity that comes around our ecosystem is something really quite unique. So how can businesses unlock more value with cobots? I think the, 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 the greatest example I've seen of, of that is uh, we're at a, a large automotive manufacturer in Italy and uh, they called all of their manufacturing. And this is – so you can imagine doing it on a smaller scale. So the key is we take – our robots come in two boxes, so it's quite unique. It doesn't matter what size, they arrive in two boxes um, and they can arrive typically within 14 days. They arrive at the factory. We have UR people there, you know, proportionate to the size of the operation. We take the robot from box 
to pedestal and show people how quickly we can we can get it moving. Then we walk hand in hand, you are engineer with production engineer. And we actually look at applications within the factory with the factory experts and say, how could you use a cobot here? And why would that be valuable? And typically, you know, we're, we're in, in any one type of production line walk, we're finding between two and seven applications that would lend themselves to cobot automation. And that doesn't mean they need to buy two or seven cobots. It means they can actually buy maybe one cobot and move it along the factory line depending on what they need to do. So that to me is that that's the unique thing about automating with cobots is the ability for the people within the factory to be in control of their own automation destiny. And it's so much more cost effective and flexible than hard automation. So I think when you you talk about the flexibility of it, that is probably why they are so relevant also to small and medium enterprises, which you mentioned was one of the areas that one of these sectors you were targeting. What holds SMEs back, though, from adopting this technology and why should they not hesitate to invest in your view? I think the holdback is because even though it's less capital than hard automation, it's still a capital investment. And I think there's always, you know, if you put yourselves in in, in an owner's shoes, the conversation could be with your bank manager, it could be with your finance director, it could actually be with your significant other. And you're, you're weighing up whether it's, you know, 30,000, you know, US dollars or it was 100,000 Australian dollars or, or 500,000 Australian dollars. It's a big decision. It's a big investment. And I think often the ability of, of uh, the people showing uh, small business or medium business operators how they're going to unlock the return on best investment, that argument has not been well articulated. And, and, and they don't know, well, why am I buying a robot? What are the problems I'm facing? And, and, and they're different in Australia to what they are in New Zealand, to what they are in Singapore, to what they are in China. Uh, and so the ability to say, well, how are you going finding skilled labour, Mr. So-and-so? And in this application, if you're able to deploy a robot for an invest- a capital investment of X, you can load the robot with multiple programs. You can not only be trained on how to program the robot, you can program the robot by moving it through its the, the process you need it to do. You can actually hold our robot and teach it how to polish. And it remember it has the, the the ability to be able to remember that. Then you need to articulate the financial proposition. So, okay, yes, there's there's an initial capital investment of X thousand, you know, let's easy numbers, let's say it's fifty thousand dollars. But you train the robot, you train the robot on each application once. It doesn't need to doesn't need holidays, it doesn't need sick leave, doesn't need retraining, it doesn't need recruitment costs. And it can be redeployed multiple times over its five, five, three, five-year life, depending on how often you're running it. Now, most SMEs are not running three shifts seven days a week. So you'd be expecting to get three to, three to four years minimum before a major service might be required. And, and all of a sudden, you go, okay, so you're getting a depreciation benefit on the robot. You're having a saving on training. You're having a saving on recruitment. And they go, ah, oh, now I can see how this can work for me. Similarly, when you're talking to manufacturers in a post-COVID time, you know, this is only the second year we've been in this situation where, yet again, we're finding Victoria plunged into, um, you know, a hard lockdown. Singapore, where I live, is in a hard lockdown. No one's had the chance to retool their factory floor for... um, And the factory floor is probably the one place that is suffering because of COVID. 
like most of us are happy not to go back to the office every day, right? So that, you know, companies are saving on their, it's easier to downsize than it is to expand, if that makes sense. And so factory operators, particularly, you know, in, in food production, uh, pharmaceuticals but, and life science, they've relied on X number of people to make a, a production line efficient, you know, read to get an economic return from that production line. If you now have to socially distance, that means you can't have as many people in close proximity as you once did and the numbers simply don't work when you can't get the number of people to move the production through the facility and that's where the ability to roll in a cobot that doesn't need guarding can be very, very quickly deployed and very, very quickly redeployed. Um, so it's not just a, a one a one trick pony. It can do multiple tasks. It can be multiple times redeployed, and it can actually act as a form of distance without actually having to be shielded. So you keep your factory floor flex- flexibility open. It does offer uh, manufacturers the potential to get back to as close as possible to full production in a distance world, uh, where in the short term expanding your factory footprint is not an option. So I think flexibility and the way that they can work side by side with humans without having to be caged, without having to take away the flexibility of being able to move your or repurpose a factory floor is what makes them truly unique in any environment and even more so during these sort of pandemic times. So for smaller companies uh, listening, what would you say is the entry-level cost for a basic cobot that would be able to assist with some of those smaller repetitive tasks? Look, I think you'd be you know, looking somewhere between $50,000 and, and, you know, for, for a solution. I mean, it's not the cobot, just the cobot that with the end effector. There may be some uh, deployment or, you know, so it fits in well with it from a production flow perspective. Uh, you know, that, that would be what I'm looking at. And I think, you know, most of our partners uh, in Australia, there is the ability not just to look at a, 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 uh, an upfront capital solution. There are, there are leasing, about, you know, finance, finance alternatives available that would allow you to sort of get into cobots or automation at a, a pretty, pretty affordable monthly fee. And that's not just the cobot. That's the whole up and running maintenance from, from 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 day one to day three, and you know, end of end of say three years, and if you wanted to at the end of the third year, say yeah, we'll buy it. I'm sure that the, the finance organisation would, would would have a good conversation with you around that. Certainly creates a compelling argument. Um, now, you are Universal Robots has got a new marketing campaign around your cobot um, offering. Do you want to tell me a little bit about that? Look, I think we we're, <coughs> we're very much focused on 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 unlocking. The, uh, the the small to medium uh, enterprise, you know, we, we, we've already got a very strong value proposition with multinationals, but it's about empowering uh, about empowering small and medium enterprises to automate, to help people re-onshore manufacturing. You know, that, that you know, we want to have a big conversation with uh, procurement and engineering in, in, in countries, in, in companies in Australia, New Zealand, around why you can't continue to produce in Australia or New Zealand at a same or better cost than, um, than, than, than what you're seeing in Asia. You know, because I can assure you, you know, roughly speaking, there's no different in the cost of a cobot in China, you know, when you're talking our product or any tier one cobot provider, right? And power costs are not that, that different. So my question is it's not labour. 
it's mean why why products are moving to China. It's not labor cost because you know China is probably one of the most heavily roboticized markets in the world. Right? <laughs> the reason that we have historically looked at strategic sourcing, a term I use loosely, um, when you actually shut down all of your production in your own country and send it to another country that's heavily automated. Well, I would have preferred to, to have kept heavily automated business in Australia employing some rather than sending it offshore and employing none. And I think that's the real opportunity for Australia and New Zealand is that we have incredible automating companies in Australia. Cobots add to that. They don't detract to it. And, in fact, I think they make the whole category bigger. Right? If you look at our typical um, uh, system integrators in, in Australia, they're really targeting the big end of town. And the big end of town are going to automate. They buy. They don't need to be sold to. They don't need to be convinced. What cobots do in the small to medium space is make the whole automation category bigger, much, much bigger. Uh, and and that's, that's where you are has, has come from. And, you know, we're not going to forget that. We, we, we're going to make sure that, we, that we, we, we love and take care of small and medium, medium enterprise because they are the people that actually feed. You know, these are the guys that are machining the parts that feed Tier 1 automotive, Tier 1 electronics, Tier 1 food. Um, so instead of, instead of sourcing overseas, we see, see the opportunity to actually give them the technology and the tools to stay competitive and produce locally. So um, to bring this to a close, perhaps um, we could talk about now just why cobots are particularly suited to the Australian manufacturing environment. I think that the key things are we give manufacturers flexibility and increased productivity in, in, in any environment and even more so in COVID. That leads fundamentally, if you're a business owner, to higher profit, profit, profitability. And that's, a, you know, everybody needs to make money to stay in business. So I don't think we should be ashamed of, of saying that we can help people become more efficient, more profitable. The other key thing is that most of the things that we produce in Australia and New Zealand are high value items, including food. You know, milk powder is incredibly valuable. Uh, you know, so too is red meat. So the less damage done to any of those products, including any product in production, yeah, the, lo the lower the, your cost of poor quality, the more efficient your operation and the higher the profit again. So cobots don't tend to make mistakes. If you train them to make mistakes, they'll make them very consistently. If you train them well, they don't, they don't make mistakes. So it's all in the training. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I think that the beauty of that is we want people in manufacturing masters of our cobots, not the other way around. So, so the people who program our, our cobots, when it's done best, it's done within the factory. They are the people that are mastering how to automate their own business. So that, you know, we're empowering people within the factory to go from being factory workers to managing how cobots work within a wholesale of production. And in that sense, we're bringing, we're making manufacturing attractive to the next generation because people aren't coming in to work on a line. They're coming in to manage and program a robotic cell. And, and that, to me, is incredibly powerful when you think about how much value manufacturing jobs drive into any economy, and in particular the Australian one or the New Zealand one. Thanks, James. That, that really does give us some very clear insights. And as a country, as we look at reshoring our manufacturing, 
A key competitive advantage of embracing cobots is exactly what you've described here. They're easy to deploy. The deployment is fast. They work efficiently. They are cost effective and they increase our productivity. Um, So in order to keep our finger on the pulse in our manufacturing environment um, and to have a rapid response to all those flexible and changing demands from the marketplace. Um, with cobots, I think will certainly be key to the success of every manufacturer going forward. So thank you very much for sharing your insight today. Um, I would like to have a cobot in my own home. That would be a good step forward. <laughs> so thanks for joining us, James. Thank you very much, Lindy. Take care. Speak soon. Well, thank you, James. Thank you, Lindy. It's been a great discussion about the uh, the wonders of cobots and how they're progressing these days. And yes, I too share the dream of having uh, more than just a Roomba in the house. <laughs> and with that, we're going to wrap up this episode and uh, we'll be back in the not too distant future with another informative episode. But until then, have a great day. You've been listening to the PKN Podcast, produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of PKN Packaging News owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of PKN Packaging News, Yaffa Media, or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast's audio, please contact us via the website or send an email to editor at packagingnews.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on Australia's packaging industry at packagingnews.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast.